painting to photography, from beadwork to woodworking. KQAL-FM on the campus of Winona State University presents Artbeat. Artbeat highlights the work and accomplishments of local artists from in and around Winona. Support for Artbeat is made possible by the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Gyotaku is a traditional Japanese form of art using real fish to paint a picture. Dwight Hang, a California-based artist, creates these beautiful art pieces and will be joining us on Artbeat this week to talk about his paintings. He recently had an exhibit at the Minnesota Marine Art Museum in Minnesota. I'm VJ Heron, joined by KQAL Giovanni Bermudez with Dwight Hang on Artbeat. Well, if you're, uh, if you're open for our interview right now, I'm actually joined in here by another interviewer, uh, uh, yeah. Ventress. Yeah, how you doing, Dwight? My name's uh, Ventress. Yeah. All right, so are you, if, you, if you're all right with this, we'd like to start the interview. Yeah, absolutely. I, I didn't get the name of the other... The oh, other my name is Ventress. Ventress, okay. Yes, sir. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. I actually really like the art that I sent today. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right, we'll just uh, start things simple. So you have, uh, the name of your show is, um, let's just start there. Why don't you give the, our audience a bit of background on your uh, on your exhibition over at the Marine Art Museum? Uh, <clears throat> well, um, actually, I'm, oh, wait, hold on a second. Uh, well, the, the Marine, Minnesota Marine Art Museum, they asked me to... Um, basically fill up a, a large room um, with uh, three dozen original pieces um, all in the Gyotaku art style. And, um, yeah, I was more than happy to oblige. Uh, all right. Yeah, I don't know. If you could leave me with... Yeah. All right, well, we'll just start there. You mentioned the uh, uh, Gyotaku art style. Why don't you elaborate on that? Uh-huh. Uh, tell our audience what that is. Okay. Um, so gyotaku is this Japanese art form. It's really sort of obscure art form that um, started in the 1800s. And what that is, if you actually look at the the Japanese characters for it, gyo means fish and taku means to create a rubbing out of something, usually like stone epitaphs. And putting the two words to, together, gyotaku it literally means um, a fish rubbing or a fish print. And it started in the, the earliest um, example of this was from 1837. And it's, it was created by a samurai lord named Sakai. And the story goes that he used to love the fish and he would bring back the fish and, um, you know, he would write down all the details of the, of his catch, you know, typically like what fishermen even today, really geek out on, you know, the weight or how they caught it, where they caught it, what they caught it with, things like that. And it wasn't until one day, instead of um, just writing about it, he took the same calligraphy ink, which is called sumi ink, and he brushed it directly onto the fish itself, placed the paper on top of the fish, and created the first print. And it and it stuck ever since. And if you if you were to go to Japan. Um, usually the older parts anyway. You can go into like any tackle shop or a fishmonger, some sushi restaurants, and you'll see these still um, up on the walls. All right, well, can you elaborate a bit on the process? How? What did you do to get the prints you did? I know you did a little bit, but can you go into a little more detail? 
Yeah. Um, so the process is really simple. Um, there's only really three um, ingredients, I guess. Um, paper, the ink, and the fish itself. Um, but as with like all things that are Japanese, especially the, the classical Japanese art, you know, they'll take something really simple and just refine and refine and refine and do it over and over and over again until it becomes something very special. Um, the ink is called sumi. Um, you'll see this all over East Asia, wh- whether it's Korea or China or Japan. Um, and it's all the same ink. It's made out of pine soot. And it comes in a, in a block form. Basically, it's a really fine piece of charcoal that you grind with water for about 30 or 40 minutes to make your ink. And if you, if you imagine like, um, like ancient Chinese calligraphy scrolls or Japanese sumi paintings, it's all the same ink. Um, the paper is called, the paper is called something different depending on which country it's from. For example, in Japan, it's called washi, which literally means Japanese paper. Um, the same exact paper is used, for example, in Korea. In Korea, it's called hanji, which means Korean paper. And then the same thing goes with, with China. It's called, you know, literally means Chinese paper. Hmm. But it's all the same thing. It's made out of mulberry pulp. Um, uh, a lot of Westerners will mistakenly call it rice paper. Um, and that's a misnomer because there's no rice involved in it. There's, it's only called rice paper because it's from the Far East, unfortunately. Wow. But it's, yeah, it's, it's mulberry. And then, and then of course, the fish. Um, pressure is better. Um, I've worked with preserved fish before, um, like um, scientific specimens. That's very difficult, but it's possible, but it's very difficult. But fresh is always best. Um, but the process itself, you know, you, you, you take the, the ink and you brush the fish, and then you can print it that way, but it, it turns out very dark and, and very heavy looking if, if you don't modify the ink um, that you've applied. So I like to brush on it, on the ink, and then I like to uh, start adding and removing and blending um, the ink that's on the fish. Essentially, that's the fish itself is the canvas or the slate. And because whatever is on the fish, that's what that is what is going to transfer over to the paper. And so, if I let's say I want stripes or I want a gradation or I want spots, I'll just I'll I'll do that all on the fish, and then rub the paper on, and that's what I'll get. Um, at the core of it, it's no different from like, you know, us as, as children making handprints with poster paint, you know, on paper, but, um, but with a fish and more refined. Well, I, I do want to ask, why did you choose this style of art? What is it about this style that really speaks to you? Well, um, I've always been an artist. Um, I was in... I used to be a storyboard artist for movies and anime and games and live action. I did that for 20 years, and seven of those years were in Tokyo. And um, I used to all, I mean, i not just used to, I, I love to fish, fishing, anything that deals with fish. Um, 
Like if I go to an, an, a, a pet shop, like I, I go straight to the fish section just to look at them. And if I go to uh, a market, then I go straight to the seafood section just to look at the fish. Just a, sort of obsessed by it. It's hard to explain. Um, and so when I first saw these Japanese gyotaku prints when, when I was working there, like I immediately fell in love with them. Um, it seemed like this wonderful marriage between the two things I'm most passionate about, which is art and, and fish. And I just thought it was the coolest like alternative to um, Western taxidermy. You know, instead of skinning a fish and mounting it and putting it on a wall, you, you print it. And I thought it was really elegant and simple. Well, you said you were a storyboard artist for uh, anime, movie, and uh, games. Anything our audience may know? Mm -hmm. The first movie that I interned on was, um, it was the second Ghost in the Shell movie, the animated one. Um, later on, like I moved on, on to live action movies, um, like Gantz. But the, the, the place I started working as storyboard artist was, was uh, this place called Production IG, which is known for um, Ghost Michelle, mainly. Um, um, I worked on the back end of as an intern on, I forget which Kill Bill movie, but it was one of them. Um, yeah. Well, that's, uh, that's interesting. Uh, I noticed some of the creatures... Yeah, it, was, it was a lot of fun. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. That's uh, that's a whole other story in and of itself. I uh, yeah. uh, going back to your art though. I noticed some of the creatures you use were like jellyfish and octopus, and uh, these are creatures with uh -huh. rather soft bodies. I imagine very easy to damage. I would have to ask, how did you manage yeah. to stamp that onto paper without damaging them? Well, um, the octopus is really robust. It's, it, it doesn't take a whole lot to, to print one of those. Um, the most difficult thing about printing an octopus is that, you know, it, it's different from fish. It doesn't have any scales, and so it doesn't have, like, any sort of definition or details, really. Um, and so the two, the two main challenges are creating, like, um, gradations and tones onto the octopus so that it looks more 3D, and then posing it, which is the main um, challenge, uh, so that like it looks flowing and fluid and it looks alive, because it's very easy to make one look um, dead on paper. Um, but if, you know, it has eight appendages, and if you think about a person, you know, a person has four, and you know, we're very animated, and we can we can convey all sorts of motions and emotions with our four appendages and if you have eight you can you can double that um but it, it's very easy to just make it look kind of static and dead as far as jellyfish that one's really that's a lot trickier it is really delicate um it tears and rips very easily it's very it's almost like a plastic bag filled with water um it's um so when i tried to figure that uh, figured out how to print one of those, I found that I had to use very, very little ink. In fact, so little ink that you can't even see the ink that's on it, but there is a, a, a very small layer of ink on it. 
and then the paper can only um, touch the jellyfish for like a second or two, like a second's pushing it, or two seconds is pushing it, because beyond that, it just blows out, and I mean, I mean it, just, it just ruins the paper. But it, um, so it's little ink, and um, just have to move really quickly. But it works. Yeah, speaking on some more of the pieces on your um, on your exhibit, um, I really like the Dungeness of the Crab from 2019. Um, and oh, yeah. you said that you printed that one, you had to do it upside down. I just wanted you to speak on maybe what the difficulty of getting that one, because you know we talked about the soft creatures, but I'm pretty sure the crab was probably a little more tougher. Yeah, it's a completely separate process. So a lot of um, Geotarka printers, when they print crabs, they print it from the top, which is, it, it tends to be a lot easier, but, uh, or, and, well, at least more straightforward. But um, I always thought that the, the underside of it, of a crab or a lobster, was much more interesting to look at because there's, there's all these joints and it looks like a, a robot almost. It's, it's all mechanical looking. And so... I decided that I was going to flip it over and, and print it um, from the underside. But the, right. the challenge is that, um, I mean, there's, there's a bunch of challenges, but the main one is the paper like physically can't touch um, a bunch of areas around the crab because it, it just physically can't go down and, and actually touch that surface. Like between, like for example, between the legs or, or parts of its Yeah, so you, you mentioned in the description that you had to dismantle the crab. Yeah, and so what I have to do is, um, the first pass is printing as much as I can um, that will actually touch the paper. And then after that, I have to take the crab apart piece by piece, lay the pieces down on you know a table next to me, um, and then... When I'm ready, then I ink each of those pieces individually and then reassemble it on paper. It's kind of like a, you know, taking taking apart a jigsaw puzzle and then redoing it, basically. It takes a while. It's kind of yeah. mind-numbing. How long do you, yeah. does the process usually take to create one of your good pieces? So the underside of the crab takes about two and a half weeks and then of nothing but. And then... If I were to do one of a lobster, that um, I don't know for whatever reason, that one takes me longer. That one takes about three weeks. Um, I've done sea urchins as well, and that 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 can take quite a while too because I'm individually um, printing the spines. Um, yeah, all these really started off as somebody saying, "Oh, you can't do this," and I was like, "Oh, I got to try then." Were you a self-taught artist or? Did you learn by watching someone yeah. else? No, with with this art form, I was self-taught uh, for the most part. Um, when I was in Japan, I asked around if you know if somebody knew of a geotaku artist, and everyone sort of shook their heads and shrugged their shoulders and said, "You know, why would you want to learn that? It's it's such a um, like no one does this except school children or really old salty fishermen." Like, no one cares about it. I was like, but I care about it. And so I did right. what anybody would do these days is just pour through hours of Japanese YouTube. And it all taught the same thing. You know, they just said, you know, 
brush ink on it, put paper on it, and voila, you, get, you have a, a geotaco print. But when I tried that, it wasn't as easy as that, and it, ne- it never looked very good. And so it, it just ended up being a lot of trial and error, um, just doing it over and over and over and again. And like with anything else in life, the more you do something over and over and over again, you have no choice but to get better at it. Right. You know, it was interesting to see some of the creatures that you covered. A lot of them were uh, like deep sea creatures and ones you can't really get while fishing. Uh, how did you get about yeah. getting some of these creatures? Like you had a football fish, an angler fish. Uh, I saw one that was a... Um, oh, goodness. I, I don't even remember them all. How did you get about getting some of the creatures that you've decided to do your uh, artworks on? So all those were were supplied um, by or given uh, given the opportunity to print by marine biologists, and I through, over the years I've become really well connected with um, the, the the people at Scripps and the people at NOAA. And when something really interesting you know washes up or comes up in in one of their um, nets, um, I'll often get a call or an email and, and, and be asked like. You know, would you like to print this? And I'll, I'll always say yes, because um, these are just really neat, very rare fish. Um, especially that football fish. Only been like thirty some of those, thirty some odd of those, like ever documented. Right. Since the beginning of documenting, and so, yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty neat to think that things like that exist. Well, uh, going into some more of these artworks, one that really jumped out at me was the eye of a newborn dolphin. Um, yeah. Can you elaborate <laughs> on the story behind that artwork? Why did you focus solely on the eye of the dolphin? Well, um, so one day I, I got called in by Noah saying that they, they um, like that particular year, and it seems like the years after that as well, has all been really bad years for marine mammals. They've, a lot of it have been um, dying from democ acid and, and other issues, hunger, et cetera, all along the, the, the West Coast. And one day there was this like, new, newly born infant dolphin, and they called me in to, to go and print it. And so when I went in to go see it, um, I wasn't sure like how to go about printing it. I, I've, I've never before then. I had I had never printed a sea mammal before, and um, I don't know. At the time, I thought maybe printing the whole body would be too much. Um, I don't know, like emotionally, or, or um, yeah, I just wasn't sure how to go about it. And instead, because um, I, I the 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 eye itself really grabbed me. Um, the it albeit you know it, it's very small but it looks a lot like a person's eye like like a, a baby's eye and so i thought you know maybe if i can just focus on the eye and, and do really a really good job on that um people can see or at least feel the connection between themselves and this creature that um at least it's I anyway, and maybe even his personality, it's not all that different from, from us. Um, and so that's why I ended up just focusing on that. 
Right, and uh, some of your artworks, well, a lot of them, I noticed at least three that were a result of what you just mentioned, the, uh, the death by acid. The I'm sorry, say it again, it was... Yeah. Oh, demoic acid. Right, uh, there was another one about a sea lion that died of a very similar uh, uh, issue. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah. So, demoic acid is something that happens naturally, um, but the it, it's confounded by um, the, the warming waters, changing climate, and things that are dumped into the ocean. And, and, I mean, that's how I understand it. I'm not an, a scientist. I'm just, you know, trying to um, remember what the, the scientists tell me. But basically, it's human activity that, that makes it even worse. Um, and it's this chemical that um, I think it's, it's produced by the algae, and, and then it permeates into, like, shellfish and other small fish, and then sea mammals and even people, if they were to eat this um, contaminated uh, whatever, then, like, the effects can range between anywhere from, like, um, paralyzation to, to death. Um, yeah, and, and so, um, like, all these years, all, and, and, and it's apparently worse in the summers is what I understand. And, and there's just been, like, record amounts of marine mammal deaths from, you know, sea lions, uh, dolphins, and, and, and whales. That concludes part one of our interview with Dwight Hang. Thanks again to Dwight Hang for his insight on his traditional Giotoku paintings on exhibit at the Minnesota Marine Arts Museum. Be sure to look Dwight up on www.dwighthang.com. For more conversations on art, tune in to Art Beat Tuesdays at 12.30 right here on 89.5 KQAL. I'm VJ Heron, joined by Giovanni Bermudez, and we've just heard from Giotoku artist Dwight Hang on Artbeat. I'm Bill Stoneberg, asking you to tune in next Thursday at 12.30 for part two of KQL's interview with Dwight Hang here on Artbeat. Artbeat is written and produced by KQAL-FM on the campus of Winona State University. Visit us on the web at kqal.org.